Amen. Let's look in Second uh, Chronicles chapter seven. Second Chronicles seven. I want to share a message entitled "If My People." Second Chronicles chapter seven. We're going to begin reading in uh, verse twelve, and uh, we'll read down to the end of the chapter, and let the Lord speak to us this morning in a special way. Second Chronicles chapter seven, verse twelve. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, "I have heard thy prayer." And have chosen this place to be, uh, I'm sorry, I've chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Now my eyes shall be open and my ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now have I chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever. And mine eyes shall, um, I'm sorry, and my, eye, and my eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. As for thee, if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked, and do according to all that I have commanded thee, and uh, shalt observe my statutes and my judgments, then will I establish the throne of thy kingdom, according as I have coveted with David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee man to be ruler in Israel. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and shall go and serve other gods and worship them. Then will I pluck them up by the roots out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I have sanctified for my name will I cast out of my sight and will make it to be a proverb and a byword among all nations. And this house which is high shall be an astonishment to everyone that passeth by it, so that he shall say, Why hath the Lord done thus unto this land and unto this house? And it shall be answered, because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods, and worshipped them, and served them, Therefore hath he brought all this evil upon them. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful to be here this morning. We're thankful for freedom and liberty. We're thankful for this great nation that we call our home. Uh, and Lord, that we identify with as a people. And uh, Lord, we are thankful, God, that we can testify the fact that God has been gracious to bless us throughout the years. And Lord, we give you praise and we give you the glory for everything. But God, we're moved this morning also, uh, knowing that you have cried out that if your people, uh, we believers in Christ, would cry out to you, Lord, you'd hear our prayers and God, you would respond to our request. And Lord, you would bless our land. And so Lord, we come this morning with a tender heart and really, Lord, longing uh, to once again see the blessings of God flow in a very visible way, in a very powerful way. And so, God, we ask you to speak to our hearts this morning. There may be somebody here not saved. 
They need to be born again. They need to trust Christ as their Savior. So Holy Spirit of God, will you bring conviction upon them and uh, reveal to them the need for salvation through faith in Christ and Christ alone? And Lord, I pray that they might get saved. I pray for every believer that we might be challenged and strengthened and renewed in our spirit, Lord, in our resolve to live our life for the glory of God. So I pray now you'd bless the preaching of the Word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 14 is our text verse, very familiar verse, but a very important verse for us to consider, and especially, I think, on the day when we're celebrating 4th of July. He says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land, if my people. Thursday's the 4th of July. Everybody's confused about when do you celebrate the 4th of July when it's on Thursday. Do you celebrate the Sunday before? Do you celebrate the Sunday after? I don't know. I'm just preaching on it today, amen? <laughs> so catch it, whatever. If you say, well, it should be done next Sunday, then get the CD and you can listen to it again, amen, on next Sunday. But 4th of July is this Thursday, and uh, there'll be much that'll be going on in our country. Many people will be gathering together and uh, celebrating the fourth, not really taking any consideration whatsoever about the significance of the fourth of July. It is our declaration of independence. It is our, our establishment of us as a free people. And that's hard for us to, to reconcile within our hearts because we are losing so many of our freedoms. And uh, people don't know that they're losing them. They're not aware of they're losing them. But the tightening grip of government, tightening grip of the Satan, uh, well, the dulling of the ears and the blinding of the lives of believers are causing us to lose the reality of what Fourth of July is all about. We are believers in Christ, and God has given us this great land to have the privilege of being a part of and uh, listen, it's a, a wonderful thing. People complain and gripe and, and about America, but my question is, is, we're so bad, why are so many people trying to get here? You know, if we're so bad, why don't you go somewhere else? You go over there and see what it's like living on the other side of the world. I tell you, it's not like living here. With all of our problems and all of our difficulties, America is still the greatest nation on all the earth. And so God is speaking to Israel in this chapter specifically in regards to his people regarding him as being the Lord of their nation and as their people. I think we ought to be willing to acknowledge the fact that God is the one that's given us these freedoms that we have in America, and uh, because we honor him, we enjoy them, but they are rapidly departing from us because of the fact that we're ceasing to honor and rejoice and to celebrate who our God is. John Hancock, the first signer of the Declaration of Independence, uh, said this, and I put the quotes up there, you might be able to read them, might not, listen up. Resistance to tyranny becomes the Christian and social duty of each individual. I like what he says, the Christian duty, the Christian and, and social duty of each individual. Uh, continue steadfast and with a proper sense of your dependence on God, nobly defend those rights which heaven gave 
and no man ought to take from us. We ought to remind ourselves the freedoms that we have is come from God Almighty. And man does, have, does not have any right to trample over those freedoms and to, to deny the reality of our ability to be able to worship God as God so directs us to do so. Uh, all across this nation, there are laws that are being passed to limit the free exercise of religion. Uh, a very simple uh, First Amendment uh, tells us very clearly that the government cannot regulate, establish any religion in our country. And so I got one word for our government is back off. You know, back off. That's two words. Amen. <laughs> Amen. But I hyphenated it, so it's back off. <laughs> Let us go. Leave us alone. Amen. Our beginnings as a nation were founded on Christian and biblical principles. That's not being taught in our schools anymore. But it ought to be taught in our homes. It ought to be taught in our churches. And we have these rights and freedoms that we have because they were built upon Christian principles and biblical principles. It was pastors who chartered and started Yale University in 1745, and the Word of God was prominent. That is not Yale University today. On, as you look at that, there were basically two regulations or two requirements to participate in Yale University, and here they are. All scholars shall live righteous, godly, and blameless lives. A good night. Wouldn't that be nice to be able to experience nowadays? All scholars shall live righteous, godly, and blameless lives according to the rules of God's Word, diligently reading the Holy Scriptures, the fountain of light and truth, and constantly attend upon all the duties of religion, both public and secret. What went wrong in Yale University? What has gone wrong in our nation and as a, a country, as a people, is because we have forgot that God has commanded us to be holy people, religious people, righteous people, as we live our lives privately and publicly. You know, the, the concept of the world today is you can have your religion do whatever you want as long as it's in your home, as long as it's in your place of worship. But don't come out into the public arena with it. And I'll tell you one thing. That's not how we started out. And the great educational institutions in America did not start out that way either. The second requirement they had at Yale University is that if any scholar shall deny the Holy Scriptures or any part of them to be the Word of God or be guilty of heresy or any error directly tending to subvert the fundamentals of Christianity and continuing obstinate therein after the first and second admonition, he shall be expelled. <laughs> Glory to God. I like it. I think we need to go back. Our universities need to go back to the word of God on how people, our children, our students ought to conduct themselves. I really believe with all my heart that there needs to be a return to the Word of God in reference to what the requirements are of professors who are teaching in our educational institutions. And that means on not only a college level, 
But on secondary level and on an elementary level, I think that we ought to require of all those teachers to hold to what the Word of God has to say. You say, well, you're radical. Well, I'm going to tell you something. The agenda that's against us right now is pretty radical. Because it is robbing you of every freedom and every privilege that God is so designed for you to have. Yale University committed, was commit, committed to the Bible, to biblical principles and education, but that all started to wane and change back in the early 1950s. And look where it's at now. Let me tell you, when you start just giving up a little bit in our churches, we have a problem in our churches in America because we're giving up just a little bit to go along with things. I just heard that uh, California just passed a resolution. It hasn't become law or anything yet. It has to pass their Senate. But it, they just passed a resolution that uh, Christian counselors can no longer counsel a transgender or homosexual that they can change through the power of Christ. Uh, they just passed a resolution that basically is going to hinder and limit what pastors can teach and preach from the pulpit in reference to homosexuality and transgenderism. And the sad thing about it is this. I expect that out of the world. But the sad thing is there is evangelical preachers who are on board with it. God warned the problem with Israel was that their pastors were corrupt. And I'm going to tell you the problem in America is the pastors are corrupt. They no longer will stand up and preach what the Word of God says. They'll no longer confront the social issues that are defiling us and robbing of us of our freedoms that we have. Somebody ought to stand up and say, enough is enough. We're going to, not going down that road. Present day, they have completely lost. Their Christian distinction entirely. David Gibbs said this. Because the education of this generation of leaders became less biblical, the policies they have imposed on America over the last 50 years have also become less friendly towards God who inspired American freedom and prosperity. See, when you start preaching like I'm preaching, people get nervous. People don't like it when I say the Bible ought to influence our public schools. The Bible ought to influence our courtrooms. The Bible ought to influence the every Christian life. The Bible ought to be the foundation and basis for everything we do in church, not the cultural changes. I'm reading so much literature anymore and, and about how do you adapt to the culture and how to you appeal to the present-day culture. I'm going to tell you in my culture, you don't want to appeal to us the thundering and preaching of the Word of God that you get under conviction and you have to repent and get right with God. That's what changes people's lives. Amen. Deuteronomy 4.23 says, Take heed to yourselves. Lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he hath made with you, and make you a graven image or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. 
See, we have so far drifted away from the founding principles of our freedom and liberty that we have forgotten the covenant, the blessings, the rewards that God has promised to send our way if we will seek his face. Dwight Eisenhower said this, Freedom has its life in the hearts, the actions, the spirit of men, and so it must be daily earned and refreshed. Else, like a flower cut from its life-giving roots, it will wither and die. America's dying on the vine. America's dying on the vine. And the only thing that's going to bring life back into America again is once again getting in plugged in as Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And we are grafted into Christ and we find our strength and our being, our worth, our value, all that we are in reference to who Jesus Christ is. America has lost its identity because it has turned its back on the God who established us as a great nation and as a great people. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt said this, in the truest sense, freedom cannot be bestowed. It must be achieved. See, we, we live in an era where everybody thinks, I'll just sit back and just give me everything. I want everything given to me. And the more politicians can promise they're going to give to you, you understand there's always strings attached when somebody gives something to you. You understand you have to give up something to sit back and let somebody give you something. And listen, if you want freedom, then you've got to stand for freedom. If you want America to be truly great, then you need to stand on the principles that America is great because we're a Christian nation and nothing else. We're not a Muslim nation. We're a Christian nation. And we're so stinking afraid of saying that that we won't say anything. And many of our cities in America are being run over by Islam. We're a righteous people. We're a holy people. You don't commit fornication. You don't rob. You don't steal. You don't kill. You don't cheat. You live holy lives and pure lives. But we have forgotten that's what God has called us to be. You want to have freedom. I'm going to tell you right now, you've got to stand up for it. And you've got to strive for it. And you've got to believe that God can give it to you. Jesus said it. I have come to give you life and that you might have life more abundantly. Thomas Jefferson said this, My God, how little do my countrymen know what precious blessings they are in possession of and which no other people on earth enjoy. Americans do not know how good you have it. You have so many blessings. The poorest person in America is a wealthy person in the world's standards. And the sad thing is, if we, if we don't acknowledge the fact that we are losing our freedoms and allow, allow this whole concept of socialism and communism and everything else, every other ism you can imagine, just to overrun us and take away from us our freedoms and liberties, I'm telling you, it's time for people just to stand up and say enough is enough. If you don't, if you don't vote the way I want you to vote, uh, you don't run the country the way I want you to run the country, we're voting you out. But no, we just go right along with it. 
We just allow it to keep going, and then we gripe and complain about it. Well, what about this chapter? That's all introduction. <laughs> Hopefully I've whet your appetite to know what's in the message. Verse 12 through 16, notice the sovereignty of God. Whether America likes it or not, whether the politicians wants to acknowledge it or not, God is still on the throne of heaven. God is still sovereignly in control. When you think about the sovereignty of God, we think about his personal dwelling. In verse 12, And the Lord appeared unto Solomon by night and said, I have heard thy prayer, and here it is, And have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. I would believe with all my heart there was a point in time in history where God sovereignly in control of all things said, America, I have chosen you to put my stamp of approval on you and I'll be glorified in this place. And listen, believers in Christ, we need to live in the realm of the personal dwelling of God. Jesus said he would never leave us nor forsake us. He said he would send us the comforter who would abide with us forever. Jesus has promised that he would dwell with his believers. Then why don't we just live in the reality of the sovereignty of God? He has not abandoned us. I believe the future is as bright as the promises of God. And I believe that God in his sovereign control of all things, I can believe him, I can trust him, I can pursue him. And I know that he has chosen us because look at the greatness of America. We ought to rejoice in the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God that allowed you to be born here. You realize how many people around the world that have been born outside of the United States, want to get to the United States, but God in his sovereignty put you in this place. Don't mess it up. Don't throw it away. Don't give up on it. Hold on to the blessings that God has given to us as a nation and a people. So God's personal dwelling. Notice there's also God's present cursing. He warns uh, Solomon... In verse 13, if I shut up heaven or there be no rain. That hasn't been the case this summer. <laughs> There's been plenty of rain. I can't believe how much it's rained. He says, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, God is just telling and reminding Solomon, listen, in my sovereign control, I can decide it's not going to rain anymore. In my sovereign control, I can decide I'm going to send pestilence in the land. And when I send pestilence in the land, it will destroy the land that I promised you and I gave you and that you enjoyed. And so let's not forget this matter of the freedoms that we have is based on the sovereign God's ability to either bless us or curse us right now in the present. Not only is there present cursing, but there's immediate responding in verse 14, and he says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. He didn't say, call a business meeting and decide whether you have to pursue the Lord. He didn't say, take a survey and stu a study demographic of your neighborhood to figure out if people are for seeking after God. He just simply said this, When you realize you have lost the enjoyment of my presence, 
And you realize you're suffering the torment and the suffering of my judgment. Then you need to immediately respond if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their lands. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. The greatest thing that you and I can do right now for America is to get on our face before God and pray and ask God to do something. I'll tell you the heaviest attended service ought to be Wednesday night as we gather together to pray. I don't understand why Christians don't want to pray. Why is it we don't want to pray? When God said, if, you, if there's these things going on and there's these problems, if you'll pray, I'll listen to what you're saying. So it's immediate response. Notice there's an eternal blessing in verse 16. For now have I chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. God just said, remember, there are eternal blessings and rewards that come through your identifying with the sovereign God. And God is still sovereignly in control. And uh, we need to recognize God's sovereign control over all things. I see, secondly, there's a responsibility of man. In this matter of God's blessings, not just comes from the sovereignty of God, but it does place a responsibility on man. In verse 17, it says, And as for thee, so now he's shifting. In verse 12 to 16, he's talking about what he would do and what he would respond. And then in verse 17, he shifts the narrative and says, as for thee. So God's saying, this is what I am, and this is what I'll do, but what are you going to do? As for you, or as for thee, if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked, and do according to all that I have commanded thee, and shalt observe my statutes and my judgments, then will I establish the throne of, king, of the, thy kingdom, according to I have coveted with David thy father, saying, there shall not fail thee a man to be ruler in Israel. And so here we have this matter of responsibility of man. First of all, remember our godly heritage. He said, you need to walk before me, and here it is, as David thy father walked. You know, there's so much studies now, right now talking about uh, young people leaving the church, young people embracing other religions, Young people going to college, and by the time their freshman year is over, they have abandoned everything that their father and mother has taught them and trained them to believe and, and trust in the Word of God over the 18 years of their life. I'm going to tell you what the problem is, is we've forgotten our responsibility, and our responsibility is to remember our godly heritage. Our godly heritage of Israel was David walked before his God. He was a man after God's own heart. And, and, and Solomon is being reminded by God that, listen, your children need to be raised to live a godly heritage. And America needs to be on the track of getting closer and closer to God, not farther and farther away from God. Our children need to be committed to the Lord. They need to be surrendered to Christ. They need to be committed to the local church. And they need to be fulfilling the desires of our heart as we walk with God all of our days. It is not, listen, it is not good enough 
that say, oh, well, you know, they're just doing their own thing. No, they need to live for God and walk with God as you walk with God. And uh, so he says, remember our godly heritage. Rehearse our biblical heritage. He said, they're to do according to all that I have commanded thee. We're to rehearse that over and over again. You're to remind yourself what is it that God wants you to do and how God wants you to live. You're to rehearse it with your children. Your children, as they grow older, it should be settled in their heart. This is why I live like I do. This is how I respond to situations in the world because God has given me a godly heritage that's based on the foundation of the truth of the Word of God. It is not the thoughts of man. It is not the desires of man. It is the revelation of God Almighty that He has so stated this is how you're to live. And not only that, but we're to retain our national heritage. In verse 18, it says, Then will I establish thy throne of thy kingdom, according as I have coveted with David thy father. You know, the whole thing with Palestinians and Israel and the two-state solution and all that. Israel's not going to give up their identity. Israel's not going to surrender their national heritage. They are the people of God, the apple of God's eye. They are the ones who God has promised to establish a throne that is through them. But bless God, we are Christians. We are a Christian nation, and I'm not willing to give up our heritage. I'm not willing to say it's okay to become something else. I'm not going to say it's okay to be a secular in our concept and how we live. I just saw a thing to Congress and swearing people in now. Swearing people in. They were swearing these three people. I forget who they were now, but they were swearing them in to fill uh, some office or some duty or whatever. And they got the, at the end of the swearing, uh, you always say, so help me God. They took that out. And one of the senators spoke up and said, well, wait a minute. Can we have a, a restatement of this? Because they left out, so help me God. And that guy, what was his name? Adler? That's a head of Adler? What's his name? Madler, whatever. I was going to say something. I know when to shut my mouth. He and another guy so stated, we, are not, we do not impress religion on anybody, and they, we are not having them restate that. Uh, swear in. They took God out. So help me God. It's removed. People are sworn in offices. No more is it put your hand on the King James Bible. It's what it used to be. You used to put your hands on the King James Bible. Now we have people being sworn in and putting their hands on the Koran. Now we have people being sworn in and they're removing the whole thing, the concept of who God is. Our government has completely removed God from his existence in our culture, in, in our political arena. Bless God, I'm not willing to give up my national heritage. So I am a Christian and I'm a part of a Christian nation. Somebody wants to have credence with me when they're sworn into office, they need to say, so help me God. Well, James Madison said this, Cursed be all that, all that learning that is contrary to the cross of Christ. Wow. 
Are you kidding me? My, our fourth president, United States. Can you imagine President Trump coming out and making a statement like that? Can you imagine any president coming out and saying, wait a minute, everybody or every part of learning in academia needs to be cursed that does not acknowledge the cross of Jesus Christ. James Monroe, our fifth president, said, when we view the blessings which our country has been favored, those which we now enjoy and the means which we possess of handling them down unimpaired to our latest posterity, our attention is irresistibly drawn to the source from whence they flew, uh, they flow. Let us then unite in offering our most grateful acknowledgments for these blessings to the divine author of all good. It's alarming to me that people in leadership will so state that America was not founded on biblical principles, but leader after leader after leader after leader in the early years of our nation acknowledges the God of heaven, acknowledges the uh, Christian faith in trusting in the Lord. John Quincy Adams, our sixth president, said this, the hope of the Christian is inseparable from his faith. Uh, and that's what they're wanting to do right now, is separate your life in the secular world apart from your life in the church. The hope of the Christian is inseparable from his faith. Whoever believes in the divine inspiration of the Holy Scriptures must hope that religion of Jesus shall prevail throughout the earth. Never since the foundation of the world have the prospects of mankind been more encouraging uh, to that hope than they appear to be at the present time. And may the associated distribution of the Bible proceed and prosper till the Lord shall have made bear his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall be the salvation of our God. Wow. The sovereignty of God, the responsibility of man. Man must speak out in reference to being a Christian. It is not enough for in our private relationships and our place of worship to say I'm a Christian. We must say I am a Christian in the public arena. And we must impress upon people the aspects of living out the Christian life in the public arena. So we have the sovereignty of God, we have the responsibility of man, then we have the humility of a nation. In verse 19, or say verse 20, notice to be taunted. In verse 20, it says, Then will I pluck them up by the roots of my hand, which I have given them, and this house, which I have sanctified for thy, my name, will, cast, will I cast out of my sight and make it to be a proverb and a byword among all nations. Taunted by other nations. You know why nations have been taunting us? is because we have lost the reality of acknowledging our dependence upon a God who enabled us to be established. We are afraid to say that we're a Christian nation. President Obama, I'll tell you, all he did when his presidency was travel around the world and apologize for America. We have nothing to apologize for. Nothing. 
You say, well, we've got atrocities in our background. Yes, we do. But we certainly have repented of them, and we certainly have tried to be right with God, and we've tried to live a godly life as a nation, as a people. We have nothing to apologize about. Our people have died for nations around this world so that they might have freedoms and liberty. And the more we want to apologize and we want to cower into the corner, the more you'll be taunted by other nations. I thought it was amazing President Trump met with North Korea, stepped on North Korea. And I thought to myself, boy, that's the first president of the United States. And I thought, man, you've got guts. I may not agree with everything you do, but I'm going to tell you one thing. That took guts to do that. I'm just waiting to hear what the liberal media has to say about it. <laughs> to be taunted. To be stunned. In uh, verse 21, it's this house which is high shall be established, uh, established to everyone that passes by it. And he shall say, why hath the Lord done thus unto the land, this land and unto this house? He's saying, you're going to be stunned with the reality of what God will do or what will happen when God takes his hand of blessing off. We're seeing our nation slip into anarchy. I was thinking in the streets of uh, Los Angeles, the streets of San Francisco, Streets of Seattle, Seattle, Washington, they're overrun with poverty. They're overrun with homelessness. And I, th I thought about it this morning. I thought, you know, if you walk your dog, you gotta, if it goes to the bathroom, you've got to stop and pick it up. We have people in these major cities living on the street and so bad that uh, Sacramento, I think it is, or San Francisco, one of those two cities, actually have a map to identify where human feces is. So you won't step in it when you're walking through and touring the cities. Is that what we want as a nation? Is that what we want as a people? And all, it all comes out of all this liberal theology, if you will, and liberal po uh, policies that put people out on the street. It's, it's a shame of what we're becoming. The, pe the people of the world are looking at us and they're shaking our heads. We're becoming a proverb to them. We were such a great people and prosperous people. Uh, yes, you have gaps in income and all these different things, but America has always been moving ahead with the blessings of God, but we have abandoned God. And we're not only being taunted and stunned, but we're being mocked in verse 22. And it shall be answered because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore hath he brought all this evil upon them. Just mock because we abandoned the Lord. Patrick Henry said this, It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, peoples of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, 
and uh, freedom of worship here. You go to other nations that are not Christian nations, and what do you do? You get yourself in trouble. Uh, you end up beheaded if you don't watch out. But in America, because we were founded on Christian principles, people from all faiths come here and are allowed to worship as they see fit. That's freedom. That's what real freedom is. But in the process of allowing them to have their freedom to worship, we believe that. We embrace that. We are not going to abandon our identity as a Christian nation. He went on to say, the Bible is a book worth more than all other books that have ever been printed. The greatest thing we can do is have our, our congressmen and our senators read through the Bible. We ought to go down there and say, listen, before you ever pass one piece of legislation, the reality is you can't pass anything because you won't pass anything. Instead of you arguing and bickering through it with each other, here, we're going to give you a Bible, and the challenge is this. Every one of you politicians Read the Bible. You say, well, that's ridiculous. That's, and that's exactly what the problem is. We have allowed ourselves to be wooed into a corner of thinking that any impression of the reality that you need to be a Christian and we need to be right with God is just a little bit over the top and is ridiculous. You're some kind of a fanatic. I remember my wife and I got saved. We got so fired up about Christ and about being a Christian, about living our life. Everybody's calling us Jesus freaks and everything else. Well, you can call me a Jesus freak if you want. You can call me a radical if you want. You can call me whatever you want. But I'm going to tell you one thing. I'm a Christian, and I love my God, and I love my country, and I want God to be glorified in my country. Amen. <laughs> Well, here's the conclusion of the whole matter. As Paul Harvey says, here's the rest of the story. Verse 17, there's identification. God tells Solomon, if my people, which are called by my name, don't be ashamed of being a Christian. Young people, teenagers, don't be ashamed of being a Christian. Millennials, don't be ashamed of being a Christian. Us old fogies, don't be afraid of being ashamed of being a Christian. Let people know that you're a Christian. Why? Because God had said he would listen to his people. Identification. Notice conviction in this verse. Shall humble themselves. We're not talking about being arrogant. We're not talking about being bigoted. We're not talking about being prideful. We're talking about being under the conviction of God. We're humbled ourselves because God's convicted us that things aren't right. Communication shall humble themselves and pray. Getting right with God always brings us to a place of communicating with God. Consecration and pray and seek my face. Consecration is going after God. And consecration involves getting away from the world and coming into the presence of the Lord, knowing that, wait a minute, the Lord uh, will mold us into the image of his son. Consecration. Uh, sanctification. It says, and turn from their wicked ways. It is time for Christians to stop drinking the booze the devils drink. 
It's time for Christians to stop smoking their cigarettes and stop smoking. What's those things called, Nick? Those new vapor things or whatever. Vaping, ain't it? Vaping. Whatever. I don't know what it is. It ain't nothing but smoking, that's all it is. It's nicotine being put in your body to corrupt your body, which is to be holy because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Christians need to stop their dancing. They need to stop their fornicating. They need to stop their cussing. They need to stop all these things that we have embraced in Christianity. And then we wonder why. We wonder why we're not affecting our nation. Wonder why our nation is becoming more and more ungodly. The nation is nothing but a bunch of people who are together. Sanctification. Turn from their wicked ways. Connecting. Then will I hear from heaven. I was doing some research on church growth and things like that. And I thought it was interesting. Everybody today is about connecting. We have our connect groups. We need to dialogue. We need to connect. Why don't we connect with God? He said, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. We're saying, oh, God, I'm over here and I'm enjoying my life. I'm just having a time because the Bible says that we get, we're free. We have liberty in Christ. So I'm just partying. It's a, it's a fun time that I'm having. God, I don't understand. Why aren't you listening? I regard iniquity in my heart. The Lord will not hear me. I want to connect with God. There's cleansing. He says, I will hear from heaven. And he says, and forgive their sins. He'll cleanse us. You know, we need a good old-fashioned revival with a cleansing of God. And then healing. His final statement in the verse says, and we'll heal their land. Say, boy, America needs some healing. Well, here's the formula. Here's the outline. God said, this is what you need to do. And if you do this, the outcome, the, the positive response that you'll enjoy is I'll heal your land. I, I really believe we can have a revival in America. I really believe God can turn us to as a nation that's excited about being a Christian. I believe that God can do something that is miraculous and life-changing in everybody's life. I don't care what age they are. We're going to be doing vacation Bible school a week from now, and I'm going to tell you those kids that are four years old can have their life changed. Those junior hires that come in don't know where they fit in because they're at junior high. The seventh and eighth grade is like going through purgatory, amen? They have no value, have no worth. They don't feel like they fit in anywhere. They're too big and too old for the little kids, and the older kids don't want them, and all the adults are afraid of them. And where do I fit in? Hey, God will do something in your heart. He can change things. How? If my people. It's that simplistic. If my people. God didn't say, oh, call up the Congress. God didn't say, oh, let's have a referendum put on the ballot. God said, if my people. And God wants to do something in your life. He wants to do something in my life. He wants to do something in America. 
but it's going to be through his people. Let's bow for prayer. Oh, God, we come to you. We thank you so much for the promises of God are sure. We're thankful for the challenge that you gave Solomon and how he should respond to you and how your people were to live in the land that you gave them. Help us, Lord, to be submissive and surrendered and tender to the prodding of the Holy Spirit of God. Help us, Lord, oh God, how we desperately need you to help us to repent of our sins, be cleansed and made holy. And Lord, that we might be a voice that cries in a wilderness that will bring repentance to our nation, that they might fall on their knees before the living God. I pray if there's anyone here not saved, they might come. We show them how to be saved this morning. And we'll rejoice in the goodness of our God and the grace of our God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's